I was a senior in high school, there was a small group of friends that my wife and I were a part of. And as we were this age, 17, 18 years old and following Jesus, we were really trying to begin to figure out the world. Like how does the world work and what's going on in it and what is like most particularly our place in the world? with college potentially in front of us and just like becoming a real adult, whatever that meant at the time, just seems to be on the horizon. And at this point, remember back when you were 17 or 18, it feels like there's a ton of options in front of you, but like very rarely do you feel like there's a specific path carved out for you. And after we would all hang out in the evening, we would leave whatever house we were at to go to our cars somewhere between 11 and midnight, and often a couple of us would stay talking on the curbside for hours until the early morning, till 2 or 3 a.m., asking these sorts of questions. What does God have for me? What is my life going to look like? What story am I going to live into? We called these talks curb talks because they happened regularly enough. But what we were really curious of is like from this moment in the story, what does the story in front of us look like? What's it going to become? And this is that sort of confused discovery when we look to the road to Emmaus. While they aren't going off to college, these travelers are in this season of post resurrection that they don't quite know yet, but they know the tomb is empty and they're kind of just going back to the way that life used to be. While in high school, my friends and I were trying to figure out how to follow Jesus well, and in the coming years, like do that with all that life entails, this is a different sort of exploration of conversation. These two people are going back home with a story they believe to be true, but they now no longer do. They're going back home with a story about a failed Messiah who they had hoped and trusted in. They are going back to figure out what to do next, or maybe said better, going back to do the same old thing that they had always done. And the hope is that, um, the hope is that, that this story, like through this story we have and we foster and we create this like hopeful imagination again, even with the stories that seem dead to us in our own life. Even with the journeys and the parts looking back that feel how we, as we jump into this story, I think this story is one of the most like interesting and compelling stories in all of the gospel accounts. It comes right on the backside of Luke's account of the women going to the tomb and finding out it's empty and returning back to tell these others. And these two people, we have Cleopas' name, but we don't have the other's name. And there's some debate whether that's a companion or a wife. We're not really sure. But regardless, these two people who believed in the Jesus story are now headed back to Emmaus, a two or three hour walk from Jerusalem. And while they're walking, they're talking about everything that has just unfolded in their lives. Very different than a couple months prior, what they thought was going to unfold in their lives. And I suppose maybe Jesus is just like a really fast walker. I'm not sure. But all of a sudden, Jesus catches up to them. And these two people, they don't recognize Jesus at all. 
They aren't afraid of him or scared. They aren't concerned. This is just sort of what happens in the ancient Near East. As you travel along your way, companions, because you're going for a few hours, companions come along, and it's the social norm, maybe just for extroverts, maybe introverts were forced to, too. Just like the five minutes here, like you have to engage with people that you have a dedicated time with. But as far as, uh, as far as they can tell, Jesus is just another guy going the same path, traveling the same road, maybe even having believed the same story that they did. And Jesus, as they're walking in typical Jesus fashion, asks them a question, what are you guys talking about? And we don't know if Jesus says this specifically because they look sad. The scriptures in verse 17 says that they stood still and their faces were downcast. These guys are down and out. These people are down and out. They're bummed. But Cleopas, one of the men, says, Are you the only one who doesn't know? Or my favorite way to read this statement is like, Jesus, where have you been? Which the tongue-in-cheek is like, he hasn't been there, but he has, so it's, it's there. But what's happening is that, that this statement from Cleopas reveals that like this, this moment, this story, this crucifixion, this failed Messiah story has permeated the normal conversation of everyone traveling from Jerusalem, everyone who is in Jerusalem. And it's clear here to us because we are 2,000 years removed, but what's not clear then is that some people are still discovering the story of what happened. They're still seeking to understand what, what seems to have occurred on Golgotha that day. And this man on the scene who we know is Jesus, to them he doesn't seem to be aware of what's going on. And Cleopas seems to be astonished that Jesus hasn't heard the news. In verse 19, they reply about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And as Cleopas tells him, in word and in deed, and then the chief priests, the religious elite and rulers who have always told us the way it's supposed to be, who we used to trust, they took this guy and they handed him over to Pilate to be killed. And we thought maybe he was the one that was going to redeem Israel, that for generations this story has been told about one day someone will come like King David, but he will release oppression for the Jews. We thought that it might have been him. But there is this line, almost haunting, tucked in, that explains the reason these men are downcast, or these people are downcast and sad. The reason they're probably walking a bit slower that Jesus might be able to catch them with no frolic in their step or rejoicing in their vo voice. In Luke 24, 22, Cleopas says, But we had hoped. But we had hoped. Notice the intentional past tense of these words. Notice that this hope no longer lives, that this hope is now gone. This hope has vanished. It is no more. There was a man born in Nazareth 
who seemed to be a prophet powerful in what he said and did, and we thought he was going to redeem Israel. We thought that he was the long-awaited and promised Messiah, but it turns out we were wrong. We had hoped. Which beckons the question this morning for us, which hope of yours feels like it has died? What hope of yours feels like it's been buried in the tomb never to awaken again? What dreams did you have with God maybe when you were young, maybe when you first encountered and experienced Him, but you now have laid to rest because it did not make sense in the plan or it did not reconcile with how life seemed to be going? What parts of your personality in your childhood get you excited about following the way of Jesus or the world in the church or whatever it is, like something comes in to crush this thing about experiencing God that really excites you. And so you have this like dream or vision or conviction about how you think you're supposed to be in the kingdom of God and in the world. But because of, because of Satan, the flesh and the devil, those like because of Satan, the flesh and the world, that dream, that vision has now been like tucked away inside your heart, never to breathe or resurrect again. What kingdom of God's seeds or dreams or visions has God given you to be responsible with? And along the way, it just seemed like that wasn't going to be your story like you thought maybe it would be. So you put the dream away in the dark corner of your heart and resolved to go back to the way that things have just always been. And sometimes this is for good reason, and sometimes those dreams, those visions, those desires of following Jesus into new places, sometimes those go away for good reason, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes these dreams and visions and hopes get laid to rest because it's not the right time for them. That tree, that branch still needs to grow in order to be able to bear that fruit. But sometimes they get laid to rest because harmful words have been spoken over us or toxic environments have not allowed this tree, this seed to grow, that, that we take this little seed that feels like the kingdom of God in my life and when I throw it out, it feels like it lands on hard cement, never even getting chance to take root. And sometimes if we're honest, we didn't hear rightly or listen correctly to God. We received a prophetic word that wasn't prophetic from God, but a human desire spoken over us like it was God's word. And we received it as God's word. And so we've been holding on to this promise for our entire life that's not a promise God actually ever made. And sometimes there are dreams that we carry that may be from God, but maybe they're not for us. One of the realities of my own family's life and story is my wife, Jackie, has always longed to live in a third world country as a missionary, ever since we were 15 years old. And this is something that God has put inside of her since her first missions trip in high school. And one of the things that we as a married couple have wrestled with our entire marriage, that my heart and my call has to always seem to be to like serve the church, the bride of Christ, serve the community of Christ. 
And Jackie's call, Jackie's unique conviction and invitation has always been to serve and live amongst people in the third world. And this is a reality that is still felt in our marriage. Literally last night when Jackie was reading this teaching, she looked at me and said, what if we could just plant a church in another third world country? Last night. And as a family saying yes to this call for us to move back to Bakersfield and church plant here and pastor this church. The question beckons in our living room, what then do we do with this conviction that Jackie carries? Does one of us have to win and one of us have to lose? Are these both really from God? So you go on a journey of exploring those questions, those convictions, those desires out, and you flesh them out as much as possible. And one of the, the realities, one of the curiosities that Jackie has, has wondered about and become curious of is, is, does this gift that lives inside of her, it may not manifest in the way she originally anticipated it would, but what is that gift for? As she has wrestled with this reality, one of the wonderings she has carried is maybe this dream, this vision, and this desire aren't just for her. Maybe it's manifested through a love she carries for the third world that is passed down, inherited to one of her children. Maybe it's to be shared with a community that thinks about the marginalized and those that are far off. So while we don't get to live there, maybe that conviction helps contribute to shaping a community of Christ. It's about the hopes that we carry for our lives. As we have felt called to live out vision for God's kingdom, and sometimes... Rightfully so, and sometimes wrongfully so, those things get put away for a while. Many of us resonate with the reality that sometimes we carry stagnant dreams. Or maybe we stopped hoping for seeds placed in our soul long ago, even as a church as a new community that's a little more than one years old, there are whispers of once-held desires that are beginning to awake again. And part of that is tied to the healing that God has done in this community for the sake of being able to trust Christ's community again. But it feels like there is a bit of a season coming up for our church and maybe for you personally where it is time to start dreaming about what the kingdom of God looks like in your life again. Time to start having visions and hopes and reshape our lives intentionally for those things to actually come to fruition. That we could participate in the building of new things, participate in the manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, please, Lord Jesus. That in our little corner of the world that we would dream and hope and trust again. That we would not allow the stories spoken over us to be true or even the stories that we perceive in front of us to be more true than the things that God says himself are true. But we had hoped. Where in your life can you say this, but we had hoped? I had once hoped, but now maybe hope is gone. 
And maybe just maybe God, Jesus, the Spirit is going to show up as you name the thing that you had trusted or wanted or dreamed of. And he might, God in his power, he might resurrect that hope. He might bring it back to life. And I wish he could say, I wish I could say that he always does, but he doesn't. And that is where we grieve and cry out and lament. But maybe, just maybe, on the road away from the the way we thought things were going to be, maybe as we perceive and dream and talk with our friends about hoping again, maybe Jesus shows up in the story in an unexpected way, different than we thought he might. Maybe as we begin to talk amongst our community about what's happening in the kingdom of God in front of us, that we experience Christ's presence, not in the way you ever thought it would be, but in the way that Christ always knew it would be. Not a shout, but a whisper. Not a command, but an invitation. Not a heavy hand, but a heavy heart. God inviting you to more of the story, knowing how He's created you and knit you together and put your convictions and passions and desires and personality and character, all of those things bound up in one soul and one person, and He has work for you to participate in, and I think it's time for us to start dreaming again. I think it's time for us to start hoping again. And Luke continues... And what is more, verse 21, at the end of verse 21, and what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, verse 23, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So these two people on the road to Emmaus, they don't don't see Jesus in front of them, but they have experienced Christ's crucifixion. They have experienced, they've heard whispers from the women of an empty tomb. They hear these stories of angels and visions, but when their friends went and checked and Jesus was not there, they like, they But what we know is that these two people have some sort of relationship with Jesus before he dies. Notice in verse 22, the travelers call the women our women, like the people amongst us. They are ours. We are friends with them. We know them. And those women, our women, came and told us. These travelers are a part of this group of people who are following Jesus amongst his disciples. And when Jesus approaches them early in the story, it isn't like a, did you not see on the news what happened, but more like a, like, have you not heard? Have you not heard the story? Like this strange man comes up and have you, you don't know the story? But the reality is, even with an empty tomb and the possibility that the story could still be continuing, they have decided, resolved in their own hearts to move on with life. They leave the hope of Jesus being the promised Messiah behind, and they move on. And Jesus shows up on the road, away from life, and toward Emmaus and says, Don't you believe? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This would be like the most amazing podcast ever. Jesus goes through the entire Old Testament. That is what the phrase uh, like Moses and the prophets means. Moses, the author of the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets shorthand are like collection for the writings of the Old Testament. Jesus walks through all of the Old Testament and says, like, he, here, here's what we're talking about. Here's the Messiah, and, and here's the Messiah. And I imagine if those two are anything like me, I'm like, what about this part? And Jesus is like, no, you read that wrong. <laughs> like, like, you read your own theology in there. That's not about me as much as you think it is. But, but Jesus reveals through the Old Testament all the pointings of the Messiah, the promised one, the, the true King of David that will one day come. But what we don't want to miss here for our community, for River and Way, for like the church in Bakersfield, for our context in the city, is that when this happens, when there's these moments of doubt, when, they're, when people are walking away from the story, what Jesus doesn't throw out are like moral platitudes. And say, like, look at this thing. Doesn't it make sense that if you just adjust your behavior, if you just turned around on the road, you could come back to life? Don't you understand and see? He doesn't, he doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say that if, if you take his high moral teachings and apply them in all the broken spaces of life, that all things will be fixed. Or that all things will be made well. Or that things this side of heaven will be right again. That, that there will be full justice on earth. Jesus doesn't say that either. Jesus doesn't go on to give them a list of things to believe. He doesn't give doctrinal statements about truth and grace as important as those are. He doesn't explain to us how propitiation works or how salvation works for that matter. Jesus finds these people and he tells them the whole and complete story of God. From point A to point Z, Jesus walks them through God's story. We must begin to think about following Jesus in this sort of way. That Jesus walks them from cover to cover and book to book. That he, he starts at the beginning and walks through the entire story. Pointing to the Messiah. Pointing to the coming King. Pointing to Jesus. Pointing ultimately to himself. You see, when people are hurting and hopeless, they don't need facts about life or even facts, just facts about God or facts about salvation or pithy Christian statements. They need and we need to be reminded of a story that points to Jesus. They don't need reminders that we need more morality, which we do. They don't need reminders that we need more justice, which we do, or need more equality, which we do, or need more holiness, which we do. But what we need more than anything else is a story that leads us back to the feet of Jesus. A story that can actually give us life and hope and meaning in all of these things, like all of the things, the justice and the equality and the holiness and the morality, those things we need too, but we can't get to those things apart from coming to Christ. We can't get to those things unless we come to Jesus and participate in the way of the kingdom of God. And this is why testimonies, Stories of people encountering God are so important to the life of the church. 
so important to sharing the good news of Jesus in our world and in our communities because stories that encounter Christ, these are stories worth championing and worth believing in. These are stories worth sharing and worth telling. This is why songs and stories even exists at River and Way, that we have a specific time dedicated for people to tell stories about what Jesus is up to in their life. A pastor friend of mine has said numerous times over the difficulty of the last few years, I don't know if you've known, but it's been weird to be a human the last three years on the planet. And over that time, he would say, and I would agree, what Christians have spent a lot of time doing is talking about all of the things. And that we should talk about the things. That's, that's not totally incorrect. But what we have failed to do, and what I would say what I have failed to do, is make sure that while we are talking about the things, the difficulties of life, we are also talking about the story and the person of Jesus. That the conversation isn't just Russia and Ukraine, but Jesus, Russia, and Ukraine. Because when we talk about Jesus, we are talking about a completely different type of story. We're not just talking about the political right or the political left, but Jesus and the political right or the political left. Not just an assembly bill, 2223 in California, that is the first move to allow post-birth abortion in our state, but Jesus and how he feels in his heart breaks and his desire to redeem and restore and renew interacts with that as a present reality. We must begin to talk about Jesus in the story of God again. That is really our only hope. And because it is our only hope, we must begin to offer the world the only hope that we actually have, which is not just well-thought-out, nuanced answers about difficult questions from our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so in the road to Emmaus, these three people, Jesus and his two companions, they continue to walk and they approach the village that the two men were originally, or the two people were originally going to. Join me in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him, to, urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. So they're on this road and Jesus anticipating going farther, decides to stick around. I actually have this like curiosity and wondering of like where was Jesus going from the beginning, but the story doesn't tell us. But what we see is that he apparently was going somewhere else, and Jesus takes this detour, not because it's like easy or necessarily logical, but because an invitation from some new friends, um, because of an invitation from some new friends, he, he joins them for a meal, he joins them to rest. You see, Jesus' life is interrupted in this moment, 
And instead of passing on, he leans into the moment with people. And that is so often how the kingdom of God like sometimes works in our life. Sometimes it's, it's with like thought and plan and structure and intentionality. And other times it's I'm moving through my day and someone I don't normally encounter, I don't normally encounter them in this way, comes into contact with who I am. And rather than move on to the thing I thought I was supposed to be doing, I choose to lean in to the person that's in front of me. Regardless of who they are, regardless of my relationship with them, I lean in intentionally wherever I'm at because of God's presence inside of us and we interact with the people that we encounter, not as an interruption. And please, in particular, if you have young children, children are not an interruption. They are an invitation to lean into the kingdom of God in front of you. And so Jesus goes to eat with these travelers and as a rabbi, he goes to bless the meal and he takes the bread and blesses it and passes it out. And then these two people's eyes are opened and they recognize Jesus. And as soon as they recognize Jesus, or according to the story, Jesus disappears. I have no idea what to do with that. The reality is, in this story, as these two people experience what seems to be a reenactment of the Last Supper, as Jesus breaks the bread which represents his body broken for us, when that happens, their eyes are opened. They see it all clearly now. They see Jesus clearly now. And as soon as they see Jesus clearly, he's gone. And this is the first of a few divine manifestations that happen between Christ's uh, death during his resurrection and before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. There's a few times like this where Jesus, like we don't have a category necessarily to put it in of how to make sense of what's happening. But what we see is that Jesus is still at work with the kingdom of God breaking into people's hearts. And when we pay attention, when we break bread, when we share communion, there is this like unique manifestation of God's presence to his people. And the men react, or the people react. I keep saying men, I'm so sorry, I don't know why. The people react in this way. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Jesus in his embodied resurrection comes to people. I want you to just imagine, creatively imagine this with me. Jesus in his embodied resurrection comes to people who have their backs to the story of the redemption of Israel. They're walking away from the story they once believed. And maybe for you today, it isn't like a walking away from the story in a cognitive sense, but walking away from the way and participating in the way of Jesus. Maybe it's walking into disobedience or dishonesty with your spouse or a million little white lies that you feel like you're keeping trap of. Or maybe like... Maybe it's, it's being mean-spirited to the person you work with that you can't really stand, like whatever, what, or spewing gossip, like whatever the thing is, whatever your sin habit, sin pattern is, Jesus here is inviting you to like believe the whole story of God again. 
Believe that Christ really invites you to a way of human flourishing. And what we are talking about here is like hearing and knowing the story of God. But many of us like hear or know the story again in a cognitive sense, but not in an obedience sense. And we as modern day Westerners have a tendency to separate knowing the story, knowing uh, away from living the story. And we create them as two different things. And in ancient Israel, these things were not two. Like hear and obey were not two things. They were one thing. They were the same thing. In Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. But it also means obey, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let's do the work of putting them back together. But at this point in the story, these travelers are walking away from hope. They've turned their back to the story, not just of a crucified Messiah, but to that of an empty tomb. And just a few days ago, this person, Jesus, like was the manifestation of all of their spiritual hope. All of their physical hope, all of their societal hope, their cultural hope. Just a few days before, followers of Jesus are feeling really good about where the story is going. And now these two have begun to go back to the old way of doing things. They have begun to go back home to live as though nothing in the world had changed. And that just another man with lofty ideas died on a tree. And maybe you haven't left the story, but you have left listening to and obeying God in the big things or the little things of your life. And like them, I think Jesus' invitation, as even we were praying in pre-gathering prayer, Jesus' invitation is to like show up to you today and encounter him again. Encounter Jesus again. Whatever road you are on, would you be open? Would your eyes be willing to see that Jesus wants to show up and encounter you again? That you would come back to a story filled with hope and promise and meaning and not just in lofty like theological beliefs about eternity, but like ordinary ways of living life. That in those two, you were called by God to listen and obey. And what's interesting about the road to Emmaus story is that when Jesus invites them back, the story has moved on a bit. It's not just the original seed. It's not the new thing that they saw when Jesus was on earth that, that they were excited about and they joined the group to follow them. But when Jesus is calling them back, it's a different sort of thing now. Jesus isn't calling them back to what happened when they first got excited. Jesus is calling them to participate in a new sort of life. This story is about encountering the Messiah, encountering the Savior of the world, encountering Christ in His story. This story is about how in your lack of hope, in your lack of resolve, we, we move on in a different sort of way and Jesus still comes to press into you. 
Jesus still comes after you. Regardless of what road you're on, Jesus comes to you. Or as pastor and author Joshua Ryan Butler says in The Pursuing God, the question we're faced with before the risen Christ is not whether we've done a good enough job going out to find God. The question is whether we're willing to stop running and be found. And that is the exact place where these people find themselves, pursued by God. And for some of you, this is exactly where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you have displaced hope or neglected dreams or plans that have all been crushed and destroyed. And my prayer today, and what I think God wants to do today, is like breathe on those dreams again. Breathe on those seeds that are buried deep inside of our hearts that they might come to fruition in the time and the way that you never would have picked or planned, but the way he always knew they would come about. And this doesn't mean that all things will be restored, although one day they will. But what it does mean is that Christ will come to you in the midst of hopelessness and confusion and frustration. That Christ will come to you in the midst of the story not going the way you thought it was supposed to. And he will remind you of what the story is really about and invite you to live as a part of that story. And I think just even as we close, one of the dreams that I have been dreaming for this church is that we would become a place. A place of committed community, trusted community with one another and that we would position ourselves as a body of Christ under Christ where the Spirit of God can move in power. Where God heals and restores and breathes on things and calls them to resurrection life again. And I think today on a personal level and a communal level, this is a part of the work of becoming that type of community where we don't just cognitively understand that Jesus rose from the dead, but we start to think the dead things inside of us can rise too. Not because of our work or our effort or our power, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us together. That the God who spoke the world into being would breathe on us, would speak to us again this morning. That he would restore the thing that you cannot restore on your own that he would bring healing to this place, that he would resurrect our hearts and our spirits and our, our visions this morning. Let's pray. God, we, um, we don't want anything this morning that's not you. We don't want words that aren't your words. We don't want like pictures and dreams and visions. We don't want seeds that were planted long ago. If, if they're not yours, we ask that like you would make that clear by the power of your spirit in us. But God, would you pour your spirit out in this place? Would you like bring healing to people's hearts in this place? Would you birth new dreams about your kingdom and how that manifests in the world in this place? Would you do it for the adults in the room and the children in the room and the children in the other room? Would you pour yourself out, God? And would you move in power through your spirit 
as we say yes to like following and obeying, hearing and listening the story of God again. Jesus, would you just like specifically encounter those this morning who need an encounter from you? There are people in this room who have not like heard you nor felt you nor sensed you for a really, really, really long time. And I ask God that you would like reach, you would pursue them this morning. You would reach out to them. You would be like uniquely present to them this morning. And if you don't feel that, that's okay. There are truths to be believed that we don't always feel. But God, we ask that you would move in that way. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this story. Thank you that your story is our story. And we say yes to you again, King Jesus. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we worship Jesus?